Welcome to this podcast of the Episcopal Church of the Good Shepherd in Venice, Florida. Today is the last Sunday of Epiphany, and you will hear Father Joe Hudson speak on Matthew 17. As you listen, see if you can answer these questions. The questions, one, what is the story of Moses and the transfiguration from the Old Testament? Two, where is God's presence for us and how is it seen in the life of Jesus? And three, what does the New Testament transfiguration story tell us about how to manifest God? The Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And Jesus was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud, a voice said, This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up, and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. O God, may we behold your glory and so be changed from that glory, from one degree of glory to another. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, there are so many words you could use to try and describe it. Beautiful, awe-inspiring, mysterious, attractive fearful even, they all seem to land flat and prove inadequate. They fail to describe this glory of the Lord, the glory that is Yahweh, a glory that might be compared to the sun at its zenith, brilliant, white hot, this glory that is like the noonday summer sun in its fierceness. And yet I get ahead of myself. Let me return to where my story began in the land of Goshen in Egypt. Pharaoh had determined to keep us as slaves, as his free labor force in building monuments to his magnificence. At last, we were finally able to flee in great haste. 
But as time wore on, our excited departure turned into day after day after day of mind-numbing and foot-sore plodding for mile after blistering weary mile across the heart desert. Moses led the way, relentlessly driven on by some mighty inner compass. We eventually arrived at the foot of Mount Sinai, Sinai, with its dark rock rising far above us. At first appearance, this mountain seemed no different than any other pile of rubble, but I sensed that there was something unexplainable and mysterious hidden here. We set up camp. Moses and Joshua told us to wait while they went ahead to meet with Yahweh, and so we waited. We ate bread, we told stories, we slept, we awoke, we ate, we stared at the mountain, we ate some more and slept some more. Everyone was beginning to get restless, and then it happened. One day as the sun approached its peak, the sky strangely turned dark. A thick, black, billowy blanket settled down over the mountain Our numbing boredom and restlessness instantly turned into apprehension. This dark cloud above us seemed somehow to be animated and alive. The ground began to shake, and brilliant light flashed back and forth from within the blackness. A rumbling sound deafened our ears. Then everyone bolted for their tents, terrified. Surely Moses and Joshua must now be dead, we thought. Nothing could survive such a fierce onslaught of the glory of the Lord now pummeling and lighting up that mountain. Well, today, you and I, as we hear these words from the book of Exodus, then Moses went up on the mountain and the glory of the Lord settled there. This word settled is the Hebrew word shakan, which is also translated to dwell Or to abide. We are told that the glory of the Lord, Shekhan, settled for a time on that mountain. The book of Exodus continues with these words Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain. The glory of the Lord settled and dwelt on that mountain some 3,500 years ago. God's tangible presence was revealed there on the mountain. But the scriptures tell us of many other encounters with God's presence, and it seemed that whenever the presence was seen, that God's glory was also seen and known. So how can we explain this glorious divine presence, the various ways and times that God appears? In fact, God is present and appears throughout the entire universe, in every molecule and atom, in every animate and inanimate object. And where God's presence is known, there is God's glory. Genesis tells us that God is a creative force behind all things. God is its energy and power and life force. So how do we describe it? It can be likened to the way we hold a flame closer and closer to a piece of tinder until it eventually ignites. 
You see, God's presence, God's glory is that flame, and it ignites all things seen by us to greater or lesser degrees. It is the feeling we sense when gazing upon a glorious sunset. Jesus was the fullest manifestation of God's inflamed glory. In Matthew's Gospel, we read these words from the message translation of the Bible. Jesus took Peter and his brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain. His appearance changed from the inside out right before their eyes. Sunlight poured from his face. His clothes were filled with light. A light, radiant cloud enveloped them, and sounding from deep in the cloud, a voice, This is my son, marked by my love, focus of my delight. You see, Jesus The God-man reflected God's glory completely there on that mountain. And yet, throughout his life on earth, God's glory, God's presence was consistently seen in Jesus. In the book of Hebrews, we read this. Jesus is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And so if you want to see God... Look to Jesus. He walked this earth as a reflection of God's glory. But can the glory of God be revealed in ordinary people like you and like me? We read these words in 2 Corinthians. And all of us with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. The closer we walk to the divine fire, the more readily we will ignite with the divine glory. In the second century, St. Irenaeus wrote this, The glory of God is man fully alive. The more fully alive you and I are in relationship to God, the more God's glory will be revealed in us. So how do we support the ignition of the glory of God in our lives as individuals and as a community? How do we come fully alive in the love of God? Well, the answer is hinted at in this story from Mount Sinai, where God commanded Moses to come up the mountain and wait for him there. Moses also told the people to wait at the foot of the mountain. Moses waited six days before God spoke to him. As Americans, we don't do so well with that idea of waiting. We prefer activities and plans and answers, and we still are worshiping on this doggone concrete. We have a hard time waiting, you know. We want that gadget now. We want to work and be busy and to accomplish things. We don't do so well when we don't see progress and quick results. We do so much better with activity than with waiting. And yet Jesus, the one who most fully revealed God's glory here on earth, did a lot of waiting and listening. 
He regularly hiked out to lonely places to spend a night in communion with his father. To allow the spark of the divine to ignite our souls, we must add time of contemplation to our times of action, times when we slow down and listen. We might slowly chew on the words in scripture or some other book, allowing it to settle gently on our souls and to speak to us. Maybe we give time for meditation, or maybe Tai Chi or mindfulness, yoga, journaling, a labyrinth walk, or a walk in nature, or many other such practices. The more and more we engage in these kinds of contemplative practices, we will begin to notice that we are less driven and more centered, less scattered and more focused, less wanting to speak and more desiring to listen. Through these contemplative disciplines, you will begin to sense that divine spark igniting a fire within. Conversations will begin to speak to you in new ways. Scripture will hold fresh meaning. Nature will take on a new glory and beauty. At the beginning of this service, I prayed today's collect. O God, who before the passion of your only begotten Son revealed his glory upon the holy mountain, Grant to us that we, beholding by faith the light of his countenance, may be strengthened to bear our cross and be changed into his likeness from glory to glory. In this prayer, we are encouraged to behold by faith the light of God's countenance. And yet I believe that God wants to do more than for us to simply behold by faith the light of God's countenance. I believe it is God's desire that we experience the light of God's countenance, not just through eyes of faith, but in reality, more and more and month by month. Just as the glory of God was revealed through Jesus there on that mountain, may God's glory and presence be revealed in you and me. In the silent moment after this sermon, I'd like you to take a brief moment in communion in silence with God, to ask God, how might I become more contemplative in my relationship with you? Amen. The questions. One. What is the story of Moses and the transfiguration from the Old Testament? Two. Where is God's presence for us and how is it seen in the life of Jesus? And three. What does the New Testament transfiguration story tell us about how to manifest God? <laughs> 